We are uh, in a series called Arrested Development, and it's not really named after the TV show or the TV series, but it really talks about the concept of there's times where we can get uh, um, stalled out uh, in our spiritual walks. Arrested Development is kind of that concept where people can get stalled out, can, can, can kind of stop in their physical development and their mental development. Uh, but we're but we're using it for more from the aspect of there's times where we can get kind of stalled uh, in our spiritual uh, walk, in our spiritual element, our spiritual lives. And that's very befitting because that's what happened to the Hebrews. And the author of the Hebrews is writing to the individuals and he's saying you've lost, or that, whoever it was, the author, uh, we've speculated who it may or may not be, but there's still it's still highly talked about or discussed of who it may be. But... The author is saying, you've, you've, you're losing sight here. You're, you're, you're wanting to go back to the old stuff. You're wanting to go back to the law. You're wanting to go back to what you've been freed from. You're wanting to go back and return to the things that's not real. They're, those things pointed to Jesus. And so Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, the, every single chapter, 13 chapters I believe, every single chapter throughout the chapters, the author is elevating the supremacy of Jesus. He's saying this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is how Jesus has fulfilled this, 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 and this. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why we don't return back here. This is why angels aren't higher than Jesus. This is why the prophets aren't higher than Jesus. This is why Jesus and who Jesus is. And it, and, it, and it's just, to me, you get to thinking about it and you're like, we can't talk about anything else in church that's more appropriate than elevating the supremacy of Jesus Christ. More so in our world today, who is taking him and making him just like another person. Jesus is not just like some other person. Jesus is someone who, uh, as the author of Hebrews is saying, is elevated to the right hand uh, of the Father. So, I hope that you guys are leaning into this. If you haven't been here with us, that's where we've been, and we're only in chapter 3. And so, uh, first of all, Jesus, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read that here in a few moments. But the next, the next point, the next slide I want to share with you is this. Uh, the author talks about Jesus being greater than the prophets, the angels, and Moses. And again, what he's doing, or he or she, the author, what they are doing, they're, they're, they're taking what was elevated higher at that time, and they're saying, this is why Jesus is greater. And they're saying this is very important. Because what's happening, these Hebrews are becoming very disjointed. They're becoming very disinterested. They're becoming kind of discouraged because they're facing some things they didn't think they would face or whatever. But because they're, because that's happening, they're beginning to lose, they're beginning to lose their steam. They're beginning to kind of fall back into old patterns. And the author's saying, whoa, 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 you can't do that. Jesus is above all of these things. Jesus, you know, the prophets brought the message of God to the people. And, and the author's saying, Jesus is God himself. It doesn't get more clear than that. The message doesn't come from the source more more clear than that, that Jesus is greater than the prophets. They believe that the angels were elevated because the angels is who they believe delivered the law to Moses. And the angels would come and the angels would deliver testimony or deliver messages to men and, and women throughout the Old Testament. 
the birth of Christ was delivered by a host of angels, right? And one in particular, a host of angels showed up, but one in general would, would talk. We read about Daniel uh, talking with angels, okay? Angels were elevated high. The author of Hebrews is saying, you think the prophets, you think the angels are high. Let me share with you about Jesus. And then you have Moses, and that's what we're going to look at today. And as we look at this, we're going, Moses was, had a very special place in the lives of the Jew. And so for the Jew, if you're having this, this, uh, this debate or this teaching with a Jew, the next logical step for the Jew would be, okay, let's talk about Moses then. You know, you, you, okay, I'll give you the prophets, I'll give you the angels, but let's talk about Moses. Because Moses was the one who delivered the law. Moses was elevated. The law was everything to the Jews. And Moses and the law were kind of the same thing. They elevated Moses very, very high. And Moses in their book was very high in God's house, as we'll talk about here in, in a few moments. Now, let me just ask you a question. First of all, let me make the statement and say this. What I'm going to ask you is extremely politically incorrect, okay? Very politically incorrect, so I pray that you don't be offended when I ask this question, okay? Who wore the pants in your family when you were growing up? Now, we use that statement to mean what? Who was in charge? Who was it? How many many moms do we have? How many moms were, were the one? Okay, how about dads? Okay. All right, you ready for the next question? How many said it was dad, but it was really mom? <laughs> or vice versa, right? On paper, it's this, this, right? But in reality, it's this. And we even have statements that said, if so-and-so's not happy, no one's happy, Right? Right? Guys, those of us that are married, we call this survival of the fittest, right? We lean in, man. We're like, okay, I get it. I get it, you know? And guys, let me just say, you think you're in charge. You think you're in charge. But guess what? We all know who's really in charge, okay? We've talked with you before, and we know, right? And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to take that and degrade that. But I'm just saying, when it comes to a house, you know, there's someone that kind of leads that house, right? That's what the author of Hebrews is, is, is sharing today. Because, because Moses was often elevated as that person who was elevated high in God's house. And the author's saying, I need to share some things with you. And let me share with you a couple of things. Uh, second of all, well, let's look, let's look at the passage of scripture found in Hebrews chapter three, verses one through six. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bibles, grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you. And we're going to take a look at this passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter three, and we're going to look at verses one through six. And it says this. He says, and I'm going to read from the ESV. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory I'm sorry, as much more glory as the builder of a house has much more honor than the house itself. 
For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So, first of all, first of all, we humans get distracted very easily. And many times we will say, well, we're in God's house right now. These walls, this state, this is God's house. And many of us have developed a nice, nice, rich, very rich theology wrapped around bricks and mortar. Now, we can't support that biblically, but we'll fight for that, right? We can become very passionate about God's house and what God's house looks like, what it should have in it. And we will we will get down this vein of thought. And I'm not saying some of that's wrong, but I think some of us have become very distracted on what is God's house and what is not God's house. Let me remind you of a passage back in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to a woman he met at the well. The woman is confronted about herself and she begins what we call a good old distraction employment, right? Jesus starts really leaning into her life and kind of saying some things that, that no one else would have known. And he really comes in, he touches that sensitive area of his life, or her life. And just like at probably every single one of us would do, sitting in this room, we and she deployed a good old distraction question. And she takes it and she says, well, it's very clear that you're the prophet or you're, you know, you know all things. So let me ask you a question. And she diverts, right? And she begins to ask about where people are going to worship. And she said, you know, the Jews say this, the Samaritans say this. And Jesus says what? Lady, there's going to be a day. Listen, listen. There's going to come a time where you're going to worship in truth and spirit. That's God's house. God's house is each and every one of us that believe in Him and He builds on that. Each of us that have placed our faith and trust in Him, we are part of His house. And He's building His house. It's not bricks and mortar. It's us. It's us. It's we make up the church. And we are His house. It's easy for us at times to miss the point, just like many people miss the point, just like many people in the Hebrews, this letter, the, 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 the Hebrews is that they were missing the point that the church is not a building. The church is the building of the saints growing in Him. Okay? So when we talk about God's house, we're talking about the saints. We're talking about men and women that have placed their faith and trust in the Him. Now, what the author does is he takes it and he says, look, Moses was significant in a certain way. And, and, you know, Moses did have a unique place with God. And no doubt, Moses did have a, a very unique place with God. When we get back in the Old Testament, we read about Moses. We read that he was the man who spoke to God face to face. That was something that never happened. That was something that never happened. God never spoke to man face to face. Go back and study it. Not once did that happen. But God, there was something that... Moses was considered a friend of God. 
And the Jews elevate, as they, you know, as, as anyone would, they would elevate Moses to the point of like, this guy was vastly different. Do you remember the story when he went on Mount Sinai for, for days? Do you remember that story where he went up and to Mount Sinai for days and he spent days with God? And because he spent so much time with God, his appearance became like, like part of God's kind of glory, just, just saturated Moses. And you remember the story? And when he came off the mountain, what happened? The people were scared to death of him because he glowed. He didn't, he didn't live in River Raisin or the Raisin River, whatever it's called, Raisin River here. He didn't glow from that. He, he glowed because he had spent time in the presence of God. No one else to do that. And remember what they did? They're like, dude, you are freaking us out. You need to wear something over yourself. The guy had to wear a cloak over his head, over himself, so that he could tone it down. Holy cow. I would love for our church to be a church full of people where people are saying, you need to tone them down. They spend too much time in the presence of God. You need to tone those people down. That would be awesome. That we would be known for people that are just saturated with God's glory. Moses, that's who Moses was. In Numbers 12, 6 through 7. Now this is where, this is where the Israelites, this is where the Jews got this whole concept. And if you want to turn there with me very quickly, I'm going to fly there. But in Numbers chapter 12, this is where they got this concept that Moses was over God's house. If you look in chapter 12, and this is what we're talking about, in verse 6, he says this. He said, hear my words. And this is God speaking. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in what? A vision. I speak with him in a dream. That's how God spoke to the people at that time. A vision, a dream. But listen, he goes on to say this. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, listen, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. God is saying, Moses is different. (laughs) I don't speak to him in visions. I don't speak to him in these dreams and things like that. No, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth. And the Jews elevated Moses because he had a unique place with God, obviously. But it refers to God speaking to Moses uh, directly. And this made Moses very special. Moses was the guy who was the direct recipient of the Ten Commandments, the very law of God. And the law was everything. And so they elevated him. And the author's saying, I get it, I get it, I understand it. And I'm not taking away from that. The author says, but I want you to look at Jesus. And he says this, Fix your attention, okay? In the first couple of verses there, he says, fix your attention. Or he says, in one translation, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider. That word, consider. Fix your attention. Consider. What does that mean? Fix your attention. Consider. Consider this. Jesus used it. Jesus said, look at the ravens, okay? He was teaching them something, and he says, look at the ravens. Now, this isn't something where it's like, hey, squirrel... All right, and we get distracted and we kind of look over here at the birds and we're like, oh, that's cool. They're kind of cool. That's not what he meant. 
He never meant that when he said, look at this or consider this or fix your attention on something. What he was saying is this, and the author is using the same thing. The author is saying, there is a deep inner lesson to be learned here. Don't give this a cursory glance. Don't give this a click, a quick, quick um, glaze of your eyes. Don't give this some quick look, some quick, okay, I saw it, that's kind of cool. You know, and, and the ADD culture that we live in, that's not how it was. The, the author's saying, fix your attention. Stop and consider. Look deeply into this. Do you guys remember a few, I don't, I'm sure they still do it, but a few years ago, remember those pieces of art that you can't really see a picture, but if you stare into it, and, and, and my technique was, I think I tried to cross my eyes, and then separate them again and pull back and I could see the picture. You know what I'm talking about? Where you look, you look at it and you can't see. And, and, and as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, who does these things? How do you do these types of work? You know what I'm talking about? They didn't impress you that much. Impressed me to death. All right. And I'm going to spend 20 minutes talking about, no, I'm just kidding. It's kind of like that. There's some people that could never, ever, ever get the picture. But you had to look into it. You had to like pause a minute and, and, and really look into it. And then it became like this 3D type picture where you're kind of in it and you're kind of looking around. I thought, it was just, I thought these things were so amazing. And that's what the author is saying here. He's saying you need to fix your attention. You need to consider this. Don't just give it some quick look. Pay really close attention because there is a deep, deep lesson to learn in this. There is something that needs to be taught I was going, and, I, and it was funny because I'm driving here with my family this morning, and we're running kind of late. And, and I've told you this before: anytime we come collectively as a family, we're always pushing that moment of being late. Okay, and, and, and for my mind, I'm always trying to comprehend how that happens. Okay, and I'm not throwing my wife under the bus I, because I've already told her. I said you're my illustration for a point this morning. It just hit me. Okay, so. She, I could do kind of have permission, all right? The, the, the rest of the kind of part I'm taking liberties on, all right? And I'll deal with that later, okay? You can pray for me, but I will deal with that. So we're dry, and all I'm thinking is, you've been up since, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you got up at this time right here. How is it? What happened in between this time and this time? How did it break down, you know? How is it that it broke down, you know? And so I said something. I just asked a question. And she launches into this story that makes sense. It really does make sense, but it has no relevancy whatsoever, right? It's like talking to one of my, she's like one of my other sons, Ryan. It's like, I'm like, you're, you and Ryan are the same. It's like, I ask a question and you, you, you develop this story out that makes sense, but it's not relevant to this at all. And I'm like, it's, it blows my mind, right? And it's like, because what happens is, in my mind, it's like this. It's like this. There, there's something, you're missing the bigger point. It's kind of like this. You're miss, you, it's easy to miss that bigger point because we're not considering something. We're not leaning into something. We're not taking time. We're not really just saying, you know what, something's to be taught here. What is it that I truly need to learn from this where Jesus did the same thing in his teaching and the author saying the same thing. And listen to what the author says. He even adds to it by saying this. Those of you, now I want you to really pay close attention to this. Those of you that have this 
heavenly calling that we share in. Okay, that's extremely important. If you're sitting in here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're a follower of Him and you claim Christianity, you claim to be a son or a daughter of of God now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this is for you. You have a heavenly calling. Okay? And He's saying those of you that have a heavenly calling, you need to stop and really fix your attention on this. And He says because there's a double direction going on. There's a double direction that's taking place. It's a calling from heaven coming to you, but going to heaven. You get it? He's saying there is a calling from heaven that's coming from heaven and it's going back to heaven. That's deep. It's saying that we don't want to miss that. It's saying there's a follower of Christ. There is something to be learned here. There is a message. There is there is something that God is speaking into us that's coming from heaven, but it's taking us back to heaven. You see how we don't want to miss that? Sometimes we get we get the to we get the from, but we miss out back to the to. And that's where we are missing it. That's where we're not fixing our attention. That's where we're not considering. That's where we're not leaning into something where it's this this calling, this message that's coming from heaven that's bringing us back into heaven. And it's so easy for us to miss this voice from God. This voice from God that calls us to God. It's very powerful. It's a call that demands a concentrated effort, attention, gaze, a consideration because of its origin and its destination. It's extremely powerful. It's extremely important that we get this. Can you see how we simply cannot just give these things, this heavenly call, some cursory or disinterested glance as it's literally the invitation to God, from God. And when we fix our attention and consideration and gaze on it and look into it, we see something. What do we see? We see two things very quickly. We see Jesus being elevated as an apostle of heaven, okay, and the high priest of heaven. What does that mean? The author is saying, let me share with you why Jesus is supreme and above Moses. Two things. Consider this heavenly calling. Lean into it because there's something you need to really understand. As a follower of Jesus, this is important because you're going to see two things. Fix your attention and understand this. Number one, the apostle. What's it mean to be apostle? The apostle, the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme court of the Jews, it literally means to be the sent forth. Okay? The Supreme Court of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews, used it to describe these envoys that which they would send out. They would send out these envoys. They would send people out with the full bearers of its authority for its commands. It frequently implied ambassadors. So Jesus here is literally being referred to as the ambassador of God himself, with all of heaven, I don't know why I keep pointing there, but with all of heaven's backing, or with all of heaven's backings. Okay? That's what the author's saying. The author's saying, let me show you how supreme Jesus is. Number one, he is the apostle. And it means to be sent forth with all of the backing of heaven. It means to be clothed with all the authority of the king who sends him. 
It means when someone who is an ambassador, an apostle that's being sent out, they have the full backing of the people that sent him. How is this powerful? Let me share with you something very quickly, a little story. There's a story, true story, of a king by the name of Antichius Epiphanes. Antichius Epiphanes, back in the day, was going over, this during the days of Rome, was going over to conquer Egypt. En route to Egypt, Rome sent this guy by the name of Papilius, I think however you pronounce it, but we're going to call him Papilius, okay? That Rome sent Papilius to tell Antichius Epiphanes, uh, you need to abandon ship here. This isn't what we're going to do. This isn't what you're going to do. You need to pack it up, change your mind, and go back home. Papilius, okay, now, Antichius, Epiphanes, you know, Antichius Epiphanes is sent, he's out there with his full army. He's got everybody with him because he's attacking Egypt, okay? Papilius goes out. He doesn't have a guard. He doesn't have an army. He has a horse. That's all he's got. Maybe a chariot, I don't know. But that's all he's got, okay? So he catches up, he catches up with this, uh, with this other guy that's going to invade Egypt. Okay? Antichius Epiphanes. He catches up with them just on the borders of Egypt. And they kind of know each other. And so they kind of catch up. They have some pleasantries. They know each other from Rome. They, they have, they have a moment where they kind of catch up. And they said, um, Papilius says this, uh, you need to pack up and you need to abandon this, this, what, this thought of what you're going to do of going against Egypt. Okay, now this is one guy that has no army, no, Nothing, no guard, nothing with him. And he's telling this king that's getting ready to invade this country at the time, uh, you know, to pack it up and go home. So what happens is Antichius Epiphanes says, well, you know what, I'll, I'll give it some thought. I'll give it some thought. So Papilius, as the story goes, Papilius gets off, gets with, gets down, takes his staff, draws this big circle or somewhat of a big circle, around Antichius Epiphanes. And then earth, he draws this big circle around him. And he has this kind of smile and he says this, when you leave that circle, you need to have your mind made up, your decision needs to be made up. Basically telling him, this is what you're going to do. Okay? You've got a decision to be made. So, Antichius thinks about it for a second and says, I'm going home. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're in Papilius' shoes, would you be a bit nervous? You've got a king that's got his full army right there. Papilius has nothing. Not a guard, not an army, nothing. He has nothing. What does Papilius have that, that Antichius Epiphanes does not have? Rome. Papilius had the full backing of Rome. The message was, hey, Antichius, if you don't abandon your plot, your plan, you're going to have all Rome coming down on top of you. And that was enough for Antichius Epiphanes to understand, maybe this isn't a good idea. And so he abandons and goes back this time without attacking Egypt. The author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus doesn't just have Rome. Jesus has the whole backing of heaven. Jesus is an ambassador that has the whole backing of heaven. He has 
He has uh, the, 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 the mercy, the love, the grace, and the power that heaven offers. He also has the voice of the king. An ambassador represented the king. Anytime an ambassador would go to another country or whatever, that ambassador represented the king and had the voice of the king. An ambassador was in that point the, you know, the voice of the king. Jesus is the voice of God. In him, God speaks. In him and through him, God speaks. Jesus was man. God had that, which we'll talk about here in just a few moments, but in him, God speaks through Jesus. Remember when in the garden, I think it's kind of interesting real quick. You remember in the garden when they're getting ready to arrest Jesus and they come and they asked him, are you Jesus? You remember that first time they asked him and Jesus says, I am he. And when he said, I am he, all of the soldiers fell down. You remember that from the power in his voice? You ever think that Jesus might have had to think to himself, I need to turn that down just a tad. Why would they back up and just fall down? Because the power that Jesus had in his voice, the power that brought everything into existence because he was God. He was the voice and the voice of the king. He was the king. The second thing, he was the apostle, he was the ambassador, he was the sent one. The second thing, he is the high priest. What does it mean for the high priest? The high priest is the bridge builder. The high priest is the one that would come once a year and would represent man to God and God to man. Once a year he would do atonement for the people to forgive the sins of the people, right? He was that one person that stood between people and God. He represent, he kind of represented, but he was the bridge builder. The author of Hebrews keeps coming back to this over and over and over and over again saying, Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the high priest. He is the bridge builder. In Latin, the priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. It literally means that in the Latin. The priest is that person between God and man. He knows man. He knows God. He must be able to speak to God for man. He must be able to speak to man for God. He plays that role. Jesus is the high priest because he was what? He was perfectly man and perfectly God, dwelling in two natures. Dwelling in two natures. Therefore, he can represent God to man and man to God. He is the one person that comes to God, that man comes to God and God comes to man. Last thing is this. Jesus is the creator of the house and the creator is bound to stand above the house itself. The author eloquently displays Jesus' supremacy over Moses. And, and we often use this word in a double sense too when we talk about house. We will talk about house in a physical sense. We'll also talk about house in the sense of this is my house as far as this is my family. The house of Gale, which comprises of these individuals. And, and we can track it, you know, through genealogy and things like that. It's the, the, and we use it. We, that's how we use it. We use it like in a double sense. House is a physical place and it also represents our family. Jesus was both per, both per se as he was the creator of all things. God, God thought it. Jesus, being God's son, spoke it into existence as we read in the Gospels. God the Father thought it. Jesus brought into existence. Moses was only part of the creation. Moses didn't create the law. He mediated it. Moses did not create the house. He only served in it. Moses didn't speak of himself. He spoke of what was to come. Ladies and gentlemen, what was to come was Jesus Christ. This past week, many of you may have watched Billy Graham's funeral. If you watched Billy Graham's funeral, his daughter spoke. 
And I found it very interesting, one of the things that she spoke about towards the front end of it when she was introducing it. She said, you know, I was trying, I, I went and, and I was thinking about February 21st. And she said, I wondered what was so special about that date. You guys, did you guys, I don't know if you saw this or heard this. But she said, I was wondering what was so special about that date. And she said, what I did was I went and Googled it, like many of us do. I went and did some research. I Googled it. And what I found out was on February 21st, that date through time has been very special because it was the time when Moses died and Joshua, the leader, was taking the people into the promised land. Moses, the, the one, the liberator from slavery, passed on and the leadership shifted to Joshua, Joshua, to take the people from slavery into the promised land. She said, my dad was Moses. I thought about that and I thought, you're absolutely right. Message after message after message, that man spoke with integrity, saying that Jesus Christ is the liberator of slavery. How many men and women did God free from slavery through the obedient calling of Billy Graham? And she went on to say this, I believe that my father passing is, is kind of this indication that we're getting very close to Jesus' return to take the children into the promised land. I don't know how you believe. I don't know where you stand on your eschatology. I don't know how you take it, study it, and maybe kind of lay it to the side as figurative or, or, um, symbolic or however you, however you look at it. But the one thing I do know, and I believe wholeheartedly, is that Jesus is going to return. And Jesus is going to make all things right. And that's going to happen. Now we don't know if that's going to happen soon or not, but I'll tell you what, folks. When we start reading things and you start laying over prophecy and you start looking at our culture and you start looking at our times, and I know this has been talked about for years, but I want to tell you something. It seems as if we are getting close to something because the world we live in is not getting better. And who knows? Maybe she was right. Maybe Billy was one of the last, when Billy Graham was one of the last liberators to die and now we're waiting for our person for our for our leader to take us in to the promised land not joshua but jesus i don't know where you are in your home i don't know how you view jesus some of us we have a relationship with christ but if we would be very honest jesus is not the leader of our house and i'm not talking about just the leader of our house i'm talking about the leader of our house i'm talking about someone that can come into our house and have some conversations with us about who we truly are. There's some things that Jesus wants to change in each and every one of us. Jesus continue, want, continually wants to lead us more into His image. Some of us fight that with tooth and nail. Some of us are convinced that we're okay now. That everything's alright. Folks, things aren't alright. Things are not alright. And I would suggest this morning that here in the next few moments as we sing one last song, that you would just take a moment to spend with your Savior or with the one who is 
giving you a heavenly calling from and to Him, wanting you to be one part of His family. The author has eloquently placed Jesus back exactly where He needs to be on the throne, but saying that Jesus is the leader, is the one over, the leader, the creator, is the one over God's house. How is it with you? Is He the leader of your house? Would you stand as I close with a word of prayer? Father, I thank you so much for the word that you give us. I thank you so much for you for your caring, for your love, your mercy, your grace. I thank you so much that you never give up on us. I thank you so much that when we choose not to die to ourselves or deny ourselves, that you forgive us. And that you allow us that opportunity once again to get it right. And to pick up our cross daily and to follow you. May we be individuals that hear the heavenly calling and take it to heart and allow you to be the leader of our house just as you are the leader of God's house. I pray that you would just, Father, that we would open ourselves up to you right now and that we would receive the message that you have for us. Each person in here, the unique message that you have for each and every one of us, that we would receive it and pay close attention to it. And it's in your most powerful, loving name that we pray all these things. Amen.